Welcome to The Art of Medicine, the program that explores the arts, business, and clinical aspects of the practice of medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Wilner, and today we have a very special program touching on spiritual health, a topic that we've addressed before. But before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, Comp Health. If you're a physician looking for a new job or considering locum tenens for the first time, make sure to check out Comp Health. I've worked locums with Comp Health, and I appreciate the personalized experience I have with my recruiter, dedicated to my specialty, who knows my needs and goals. Comp Health also offers full-time permanent jobs if you're looking for a longer-term switch. For more information, check out comphealth.com. And now to my guest, who is a teacher, film producer, and has a very interesting journey that she's going to tell us about. Welcome, Dina Barnett. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you very, very much for having us. Yeah, well, it's definitely my pleasure. Um, I interviewed a few rabbis on this program because, you know, I work at the hospital and unfortunately some people really struggle and some don't make it. And, you know, we use, uh, I, I would say as my practice has continued over the years, I'm more and more willing <laughs> to get help from wherever I can. And that includes uh, spiritual uh, energy and faith. And so uh, how well it works, I guess, I don't know. Uh, but if it does work, then uh, my feeling is why not use it? So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in film and then the movie that you're making now. Yeah, uh, I'm in total agreement with you in terms of, of whether it works or not. Um, Daniel Benor, who who has been supporting the film since I spoke to him in Canada in 2015, and I asked him two questions. So the the premise of the film is really based on what it is, what it, what is spiritual healing, and and how does it work. Um, but before I sort of started on that journey, I was a caregiver for my father for many years. He was chronically ill, he was disabled, he was an alcoholic, he was also a Jewish, a Jewish agnostic atheist, which I understand that it does exist, you can be both. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was looking after him for, you know, many years, as I said, and, and uh, every day, sort of my, my, my world sort of revolved around healthcare and, and, and him looking after him, making sure that he was okay. So, you know, we would open the door to doctors and nurses and doctors who misdiagnosed my mother's cancer, for example. Um, and so I had a lot of time in dealing with the care service in Great Britain to really understand how this works bureaucratically. And, you know, when you open the door to these people, how do they look after you? And it's both a, a, a good story and a bad story. You know, you have good days and you have bad days as a caregiver. Um, but I was uh, not, uh, I didn't have a good experience. I had a very traumatic experience. And that led me to thinking more uh, deeply about health and healthcare and medicine. Um, 
but dad and I were sort of uh, creative partners and uh, for many years we'd been trying to trace a family story that goes back to um, pre-revolution of 1917 so uh, we a Russian from, revolution like, that, not, Russian not revolution. The, the revolution we think of here 1776 no, that was very current, important but the, current the Russian revolution in 1917 Indeed. Okay. <laughs> Russian roots yeah, Ukrainian actually. So I'm quarter Ukrainian, and um, we dad heard a story that was told to him by his father and his uncle in a London flat many many years ago that traced this particular ancestor on my father's side to the last Tsar of Russia. He was a doctor that was born and, and possibly trained in Kiev, um, and our family on both sides are from a place called Zhitomir, which is quite a spiritual place which is something I'm going to be talking to the chief rabbi, rabbi of Florence about this week, not this week, next week. Anyway, um, I digress. So we were trying to trace the, the, the authenticity of this story. And I became absolutely fascinated by the fact that this man would have had to mask his, his identity, his religion. And we assume that he sort of walked into the, the, the court, you know, the imperial court in, in Moscow um, as a, as an imperialist and, and then fled, survived the revolution and walked out as a, as a Bolshevik. And, and what we found out, what we do know is that he did uh, escape to Paris and he diagnosed um, a syndrome, a uh, medical syndrome, which took his name. So the original family, my family name was Babinski. Um, and so that fascinated me. Oh, well, me. Professor Babinski yeah. is, uh, I'm a neurologist, and of course, uh, we check for the Babinski sign every day. And oh, okay. uh, when I studied in France, I did two years of medical school in France. At one point, I did study with a student of a student of Dr. Babinski. So, I mean, he is yeah. a very famous name in is, uh, neurology. I yeah, I'm glad you said that. Thank you for sharing that. Because I think if it is the same guy, it's not the same guy because the, the timeline didn't fit. Ah. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it did fit. Because I think in those days, these records are very, very difficult to right? you, to locate because whether the synagogues were burnt down and, you know, you just can't trace Jewish records. a very, very difficult thing to do. Uh, and I tried to do that in London. I spoke to quite a few people that um, live in Stamford Hill, um, which is a huge community of Hasidic, uh, you know, Jewish people. So the other side of the story, which probably does make sense the way I'm telling it, and I apologize if it does, is that my father's father, my great grandfather was a rabbi and he was buried or is buried in um, a cemetery that uh, is located where I was born. So my father, when he was really ill, still suggested that I go and trace the lineage back to this um, doctor, Babinski, uh, to the cemetery, so I did. And the cemetery and is where, is that? Where it's in is a place that? called Enfield, which is in North London. Okay, so that's in the UK. You know, yeah. I, I just want to interrupt for a second. And sure. today is March 10, yeah. 2022. And you mentioned the Ukraine and there's there's a war going on now I in, know. in I the know. Ukraine. 
that yeah. we're all uh, well aware of and uh, kind of shocked by. Now, is tell us about the, the rabbi who had these curative powers. Okay, so the rabbi that I stumbled on when I was looking for my great-grandfather, his name was the Schotts rabbi, and he came from a famous dynastic family of healers and miracle workers. Um, and he wasn't um, a self-proclaimed Kabbalist, but everything that he was doing as a very pious, righteous rabbi kind of led or leaned towards that. So now, during his lifetime, did people yeah. come to him for healing? Absolutely, they did in they droves. Did. In droves, and and not just the immigrants actually. Uh, so the, his door was always open to all the displaced German immigrants. Um, you know, during the Holocaust. And where did he where Barbers. where did he live? In Stamford Hill, but he was originally from a place called Sakiva, which is northeast of Romania. That's where his family originated from. And they were famous as healers and mystics. So I don't know how much, and I, I tried really, really hard to do as much research on him, the family as possible. There isn't a huge amount, but what was really strange was that the day I was there with um, my videographer at the time, Giacomo, and I stumbled on two women praying to this man in this tomb. And it turns out one of them was the great, 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 something, something granddaughter. And she invited us to her home where we interviewed her. So we've got her on footage talking about her great grandfather and the whole dynastic family, the Schotts, the Schotts family. Now, is the tomb, uh, do people other than relatives, does anyone actually go there for healing yeah, now? They go from all over the world, but mainly Israel, and they're sort of literally bust in on buses. They come like hundreds and hundreds. So we saw a mass of people, Hasidic, you know, Hasidic, very Orthodox Jewish men and women. And if you've ever been into an um, Orthodox synagogue, you know that the men are separated from the women. And it's no different in a cemetery. And they go there without flowers. It's not the required thing or the right thing to do. What you do is you place a stone or a pebble on top of a grave, grave site. And that's your way of remembering and, and sort of, you know, letting that person know that you recognize that day and it's an important part of the calendar. You're there and you're saying thank you and so on and so forth. So yeah, it was amazing. And we saw all these people. So this and continues. It goes on. Every, yeah, absolutely. Every Friday before noon, at the same time, they come either, you know, a few people or lots and lots of like hundreds. We saw hundreds of people on that day. So and tell us about, tell me about the movie. Where does, where does the movie come in? <laughs> so the movie comes in because I was really intrigued by this experience, which I believe is called or referred to as Zadik worship. So a Zadik is a righteous, holy man or rabbi. And it's a really kind of popular thing amongst celebrities in the world. You know, they will, they will go and visit a grave site anywhere from New York to, you know, uh, Russia or wherever, Eastern Europe. Um, and yeah, it's a big, big thing. 
Um, it's not necessarily a good thing and it's still seen as quite a controversial thing. So that made it even more intriguing to me. And I thought, what with my dad and the doctor and my great grandfather, it was all kind of twisting into some kind of weird thing. Um, so I thought, I've got, to, I've got to meet a healer. I've got to actually speak directly to a healer. And the only experience I had with a healer was um, a family friend that we grew up with who literally healed my mother's back and it never returned. And this, I, I understand, might have something to do with cancer, but this was years and years before she had cancer. But this is a non-physician healer. Incorrect. Yeah, correct. Are these yeah. all rabbis, these healers? No. Not no, necessarily. I grew up with that kind of background. So I'm also, like my dad, I'm atheist Jewish. I'm not religious. And I found that even more interesting because, you know, my mind was just a bit more open, a bit more kind of relaxed to, you know, these ideas and these stories and these events. But they were all very strange. So I went, I decided to do some research and I contacted the Jewish Spiritual Association. That's not the correct uh, name for this group. But I met a man called Aubrey Rose, who is in his 90s now, um, a retired human rights lawyer, uh, an incredible man um, who has been a spiritual healer, who doesn't charge for, I don't know how many years, 50 plus years. And he did it secretly in his office as a, as a lawyer. Um, and he would literally sit opposite his client. And instead of talking to them about legal issues, he 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 offered healing and he continued to do that. He's, he's, you know, I think he's not doing that now, but he, he certainly has been in the last few years. And I said, look, you know, um, I've, I've just been to the cemetery. This happened. I'm not sure what to make of it. What do you think? I think I might be making a film. I'd like to make a film. I'm not sure. He said, come in, have a cup of tea and let's talk about it. And, and that's exactly what happened. And from that day, it snowballed. It triggered off, um, the film. I mean, he meeting him led me to all the other people in the UK, and then later on different parts of the world. All right. So, so when can I watch this film? Well, there's a saying that when the film is done, <laughs> when right. it's finished. Where are we? Where are we now? You know, you got some scraps that, of footage here and there. Yeah, we're at that stage where we're just finishing some the last piece of filming with the rabbi next week. So we're going to film. Uh, his name is Rabbi uh, Gadi Pepeno, and he's based in Florence. He's the chief rabbi of Florence, and we're going to go into the Grand Synagogue and film him and talk about healing and what the world needs now, and so on and so forth. Um, and then we're in post-production. Uh, and uh, then we're going to try and get some funding and finish the film. But Is the funding mostly for marketing or for... No, funding like... is to pay for post-production, which it, if you don't know about the film business is one of the most expensive and, and complicated parts of making the film. Is, is that editing? Is that... Yeah. That's yeah. editing and color Graphics. and yeah, color grading and you know making sure that the sound is like you do, right? Like making sure it's all yeah. clean and tidy. Yeah. Okay, so that probably takes like a year once you're all done. No, it, it's a minimum of three months. It can three take months. a lot. Okay. Longer. Yeah, you can double up, but 
minimum of three months, three, four, five months. All right, because you're going to send me an email when this thing is actually you know, in the right cinema or online or wherever it's going to be. And there is a trailer that I've watched, and I'll put link in yeah. the show notes to the trailer. What did you think of the trailer, Andrew? Well, I'm a big fan of the ocean. In fact, your opening scene there looked very familiar, but I guess, you know, big sandy beaches. I went to yeah. a beach once in Belgium, and it looked like that. It had these long, long, sort of a broad, broad, a lot of sand. A lot of sand that went, you know, deep into the water. Yeah. And there's a beach actually in Rhode Island that it reminded me of. So I like I like the beach scenes. It was quite gloomy, I, yeah. It was it was actually filmed in the winter, I think. Um, it's in Via Reggio, which is uh, Via Via Reggio. Is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, uh, not far from here. Ah, okay. Yeah. Here being, where are you now? Well, I live in uh, Florence. I live in Tuscany, in Florence, in Italy. Cool. As opposed to the other Florence, which is in America, right? Right. Well, we have a Florence, South Carolina, which isn't exactly right. the same. Yeah. Um, but uh, Florence, Italy. Okay. I think, yes, I have not been there. I have yeah. not been there. It sounds like so worth a trip. It's beautiful. And, and you'd be very welcome. And, and let us know when you're coming. Great. So Terrific. Yes. Um, a nice uh, a play, yeah, some nice food for you. But the film was, um, we filmed it across uh, actually four different countries. So I originally filmed in London. So there's a multiple of crew that worked on each country over a period of five years. Um, it's been independently funded with some help. And uh, now it's got to that point where there's yeah, you just help. Okay. Okay. Be before we go, I'm just going to add a little story of my own to this because there, I've spent a lot of time in the Philippines uh, doing medical missions and some scuba diving. I have a scuba diving channel actually, Underwater with Dr. Andrew. From, and most of that's from the Philippines. But while I was there, I learned that the albulario, the albulario is the local faith healer who you go to because you don't have enough money to go to the doctor. Right. And I had met some of them and most of them are, you know, just pretty sort of straightforward. And if they sense that the person has something sort of, you know, like a real illness, they refer, they tell them, you know, you need to go to the doctor. But if they sense it's sort of a mood thing and a, or a family crisis or, you know, Intuitive. I can't sleep Somebody or yeah. can't eat. But it turns out that there's an island in the Philippines called Sikihor. And Sikihor is famous for witches. And uh, there are people, for example, in, in the Philippines who will not hire someone who comes from Sikihor because they don't want a witch in their house. Right. Um, and in April, there is a convention of witches in Sikihor yeah. who go because for whatever the potions they are that they make, they're considered to be more uh, potent if they come from Sikihor. Right. So, and it has something to do with uh, Easter and Christ between the time he's dead and resurrected. There's sort of a black magic window there. So I went to Sikihor to find a witch. 
and I spent a few days there asking around and eventually I was instructed to go up into the mountains and I did find two witches where that was their full-time job to sort of make potions and, and cast spells. And some of the witches will cast negative spells as well as uh, positive ones. So um, this does exist. And of very course, much. with the internet, you know, and the lack of, you know, these are very isolated communities where people, you know, having faith has a lot to do with the, the potency you yeah. know, and as you kind of contaminate your mind with the ideas from all over the world that flow in from the Internet, I think that this type of faith might be harder to uh, secure. But yeah. I just throw that out there. These are not Jewish people, by the way. You know, these are the, the local. But there's a long tradition of that. And I, I suspect in many cultures. But I didn't realize in the Jewish tradition that there were, you know, faith healers. Yeah. And I look forward to the movie. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. So, Dina, I want to thank you. But before we close, I'd like to give another thanks to our sponsor, Comp Health. At Comp Health, you can talk with a recruiter who knows your specialty and will actually get to know you and your goals. Consider starting your personalized job search at Comp Health. That's comphealth.com. Dina, do you have a date? Is there, you know, is this going to be April 2023, 2024? You know, how long can I wait? I'll let you know. All right. So, and are, how are you raising the money? Um, through um, film funding. Okay. Um, Kickstarter. And we have a, a new website under construction. But we would love to speak to people privately, um, organizations, anybody involved in the medical side of holistic care and healthcare would be amazing because a lot of our contributors are people very, very well known in the community, including William Bankston and Larry Rashan and uh, Lawrence Dosey, uh, Lim Taggart and so on and so forth. Yeah. That's great. Now, be, before we close, I, I see there's a fellow there in the back. And, yeah. Oh, he's gone. But come back here. Come back here. Marco. Come and say right. hello. Introduce this gentleman. Who is that? Yeah, this amazing guy. This is Marco Ballerini, who's been working on this film, supporting me and the film for the last five years. Since Well, not five years. That's far too long. All um, right. Marco, yeah. best wishes and good luck with this film. I hope to see it soon. Dina Barnett, thank you very much for joining me on The Art of Medicine. Thank you, Andrew. Have a great day. This program is hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Wilner, MD, FACP, FAAN. Guests receive no financial compensation for their appearance on The Art of Medicine. Andrew Wilner, MD, is Associate Professor of Neurology at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, Memphis, Tennessee. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program belong solely to Dr. Wilner and his guests and not necessarily to their employers, organizations, or other group or individual. While this program intends to be informative, it is meant for entertainment purposes only. The Art of Medicine does not offer professional financial, legal, or medical advice.
Dr. Wilner and his guests assume no responsibility or liability for any damages, financial or otherwise, that arise in connection with consuming this program's content. Thanks for watching. For more episodes of The Art of Medicine, please subscribe www.andrewwilner.com.